Welcome to Nut News by Select Harvest USA, one of the world's largest producers of almonds. They're doing it all from growing and processing to packaging. See how they deliver the highest quality products at scale. Think we're a little nuts? Find out on Nut News. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Nut News brought to you by Select Harvest USA. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Nut News. Make sure that you're subscribing wherever you're listening to your podcast content. Could be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or one of the other podcast catchers out there. And make sure you're also heading to our website for more information uh, about our services, as well as more content from us, including more episodes of Nut News. So with COVID-19 still raging in the United States, the prospects of important B2B conferences and trade shows staying on the schedule or even just coming back this year are looking relatively low. That includes a food and beverage industry staple, Expo West 2020. For companies like Select Harvest, Expo West 2020 is a premier event to connect with food retailers around the world and better gauge the logistical and consumer-led opportunities and challenges that are moving the retail landscape in food and beverage. So since the show is off the radar for the rest of the year, we decided to bring our Expo West 2020 insights to the podcast instead, breaking down not only what Expo West had in store, but more broadly, what's in store for retail buyers in food and beverage. So for insights, I'd like to welcome Alan Burwell, Vice President of Marketing and Innovation, and Bryn Garcia, Vice President of Retail Sales and Business Development, both for Select Harvest. Alan, Bryn, welcome to the show. How are y'all doing? Doing great. Thanks for having us, Daniel. Yeah, thank you. Of course. How's everyone holding up during the pandemic? Are y'all staying safe? Trying to. It's certainly different, but, uh, you know, that's what innovation is all about. (laughs) That's right. We are adjusting to the new normal and uh, it's it's taken a little bit of time, but I, I think we're successfully plugging along, which is really good. The best you can ask for. Yeah, exactly. Just got to got to play with the cards you were dealt, basically. And I think everyone's trying to adjust. Well, all right, let's jump into the main uh, focus of the conversation today. So again, Expo West 2020 is canceled. Just briefly, what were y'all looking forward to the most at this year's now canceled show? What was really getting y'all excited? Well, for me, it was the opportunity to be out in front of such a big scale of retailers. This is a really large scale show. Um, I believe there's over like 3000 retailers that were about to attend. And this show specifically is really focused on the natural side of things. The full name of the show is Natural Products Expo West. So it has such a um, specialized focus on products that are more clean ingredient list and better for you. So for us, we just really felt like this was our niche and an opportunity to get in front of these retailers and have them taste our awesome, exciting new product. And when we found out that it was canceled um, accordingly and appropriately due to the situation that was going on, we were a little heartbroken and had to adjust our plans and see what we need to do now to get around this. Yeah, for me, being the innovation guy, I was excited to um, get a sneak peek at uh, some of the new things in the pipeline and get an idea of what uh, other people are doing. I mean, obviously, excited about what we're doing, um, and we um, are, you know, disappointed that we don't get that uh, opportunity anymore. But uh, for me, 
um, having that opportunity to walk the show. And it, it is a massive show. Um, the scale is quite impressive if you've never been to something like that before. And there's a lot of uh, really unique, interesting things happening. And I was uh, really just looking forward to that opportunity to be immersed and be awestruck and kind of find that next thing that I can use for inspiration. And it is a shame that it is, you know, canceled, uh, at least for the short term. I think on the site right now, it says that it will not be returning for 2020. Um, but I think this does provide a good opportunity for us to look at what Expo West 2020 would have offered us this year and try to bring some of those insights, not only to the podcast, but to the rest of the industry. So, for some context, um, in case there are listeners that don't attend Expo West frequently, why is it traditionally such an important event for professionals in the food and beverage industry? What draws people to Expo West 2020? And how is it, I guess, materially applicable after you attend? Well, I think there's a few things. Um, the, the size and scale, for one, this is a particularly large food trade show of all of the ones that happen around the country around the year. This one is particularly large. The location is also excellent. It's down in Anaheim, which as we all know, is right in the Los Angeles area. So accordingly, you've got suppliers, retailers from around the world uh, able to come in and fly into California. So it's just a great location. It really attracts a lot of people. So because of that, attendance is very high of both people showcasing and people attending, looking for that great new product. So this is a really big one. And the, the cancellation does hurt a little bit. Well, I think what's really interesting is natural products. I mean, that's again, that's Bryn hit on that earlier. That's the focus of the show. That's a trend that I don't think we can call that a trend anymore. I mean, that is here to stay. People um, from consumers to retailers accordingly are really looking for products that meet that good for you, better for you, wholesome, natural ecosphere of, of, of things. And this show has built itself as the predominant place to showcase, to discover, to innovate. And people across the spectrum in the supply chain are there to present that and showcase what they're doing. That's why we were going to be there. You know, we are launching new products, um, new brands, and we are in that space of better for you as almond producers um, and growers. And that's what this show is all about. And I think that's what we were we were excited about. And now now we're missing. But and maybe that's the emotional part of it is missing it. But that natural food focus is really what makes that show special and why so many people come because we all recognize in the industry that we are in that natural isn't going anywhere. And that was such a great place to bring your new stuff forward and to have that opportunity to present it in front of such a wide audience, whether you're looking to be a supply chain partner or a distributor or a retailer or a manufacturer, everything is there. Everyone's there and everyone has an opportunity to make a splash and to find the next thing that's going to help propel their business forward, us included. Mm, definitely. You know what? That's absolutely right, Alan. I'm, I'm glad you touched on that. I've been working in the grocery industry for just over a decade. And I do remember when natural was more of a buzzword. It was 
kind of coming out, you'd see it on packaging, you'd see a slew of products moving that way. Retailers were trying to navigate how much organic do we bring into stores? Where do we put it in stores? There were many grocery retailers that they had a small segment of each aisle or of one aisle in their store dedicated to a four foot or an eight foot space of just organic products or just natural products. And then you saw that move into some better for you products, some wellness products, gluten free. And now you see that almost every retailer in the country has completely migrated that into their set. It's no longer its own segment because consumers are so used to it everyone seeks it out across all categories. So you can no longer call it a trend. It's something that has infiltrated our lifestyle. It doesn't show any signs of slowing down. If anything, we've just seen huge growth over the past years. And I think that will continue to the point where we have entire trade shows dedicated to just natural products. So that that really does hit on the importance of this show. So without the show... How are companies like Select Harvest trying to connect with uh, those retailers that often use this show as a place for brainstorming and networking and connection for strategizing for the rest of the year? How are companies like Select Harvest connecting with those retailers to maintain those relationships and also foster new business now that the show's out of the picture? Well, from a sales point of view, we've reached out to all of our existing retailers right away and just wanted to make sure that we connected with them and assured them that we are still operating, of course, under the best quality assurance measures. And we are here for them and open and operating for business and able to fill any of their needs that they have for almonds. For new retailers, we've been able to utilize uh, platforms such as RangeMe, as well as some other more um, social selling platforms, as you will call it, to showcase our array of products that we have and just put our information out there. So if there's something that they're searching for, hopefully they will be able to find us. You know what I find interesting, you know, here we are talking about Expo West and, you know, we were prepared to talk about trends in the industry from, you know, an ingredient and a product standpoint. But I think what, you know, is really touched on here when you bring up communication is the changes that we're likely to see, the new trends we're likely to see in how we do business. And, you know, we were talking about this uh, just this last week um, with our leadership about how do we make sure that we stay connected with our team and with our um, partners and how do we address the communication issues that we have in an environment where face-to-face is really something that, you know, we were trying to avoid. I mean, we're, we're, we're a business that is an essential business and we are operating, we're operating um, in as full a capacity as we can. Um, But of course we have to take um, as much um, risk out of our businesses as, as we can. And like so many others, the the face-to-face interaction is, I think, one of the hardest things to lose. And, you know, we're already seeing new and innovative ways to make those connections. I mean, Bryn talked about our social selling platforms. Um, you know, our podcast is certainly an avenue. You know, I have friends that have been calling uh, 
um, and doing Zoom play dates with our families. Um, it's those types of things that I think we're going to see emerge in the next year or so as we continue to battle the pandemic and as you know things flux. I'm going to be really interested to see what communication tools um, actually stick. And, and honestly, I think that might become the more talked about or influential trends that we see in the industry, at least in the short term. Because at the end mm. of the day, personal connection, personal interaction, it counts for so much in how we navigate our personal lives and ultimately our business lives. And I think the people who can be flexible and innovative around that are going to be the ones that are going to be successful. All right. Let's move on beyond just the show itself. Um, I know one of the biggest reasons why folks are excited about a show like Expo West 2020 is that it helps reveal some of the broader trends happening within the industry, um, specifically for these retailers that are seeing a dynamic shift in their industry. What do you expect was going to be one of the bigger talking points at the show that's you know maybe reflective of some of the biggest uh, tech changes, consumer trend changes, um, logistics changes, something influencing the industry in a major way? What do you think was going to be that big talking point at the show? And you know what what do you think it's reflective of? Well, I think that's. The beauty of the show is sometimes uh, you don't really know, and you're going to show up and you're going to see it. Of course, we were um, bringing new product, and that new product uh, is in that non-nutritive uh, space, which basically means we're going to provide you a product that is indulgent and exciting and delicious, but isn't going to have all those extra calories and carbs and things like that that uh, people are understandably waking up to as something that uh, can influence their overall um, health and well-being. And so, you know, for us, that, uh, that trend of, of keto, of healthful, um, you know, from a broader sense of, of natural um, and good for you, wholesome ingredients, simple ingredients, um, those were trends that um, we feel are very strong in the space and we were going to be there and obviously hope to um, drive broader excitement from our presence there. That might be a little, uh, you know, over the top thinking that we would be able to make such a big splash. But um, I think, you know, just across the board, uh, we wouldn't be the only ones in that space. And uh, I think there's a lot of excitement around that. Um, and just in general, um, would have expected to uh, see some interesting things pop up around that. Has there been any change in the desire for almonds as a, uh, a, a trend within the industry? And if so, is it changing your professional relationship with different brands and retailers? And is that desire fueled by a broader trend that you think was represented or was going to be represented at the show? Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing almonds growing in so many ways, you know, and across so many different categories and retailers are looking to expand their sets for those different categories, whether it be snack almonds, baking almonds, um, almond butter. They're looking to see how they can grow this because I do believe the broader trend is better health and, and wellness. I think people are looking for ways to still enjoy what they're eating, but eat it in a way that doesn't affect their body in such a negative way, whether it be an overload of sugar or too many trans fats or too much oil, 
people are really start beginning to understand and take seriously that what we put into our bodies has a, a, a really big effect on how we feel and how our bodies function. So I think in that recognition from consumers, retailers, grocery retailers are trying to be reflective of that and grow that product assortment on their shelves. So as a result, they're looking to suppliers such as ourselves, such as Select Harvest, to be innovative and come up with new ideas and new flavors and new ways to use these healthy ingredients like almonds. And we're happy to be that partner for them and happy to have our innovation team here, our innovation kitchen being developed so that we can bring them new exciting products with that healthy mindset um, in mind and, and on the forefront of, of our thinking for what we develop. That way we can fill that niche and, and be the company that both consumers and retailers look to for that, that delicious, healthy almond product. It is no coincidence that you see almonds in so many more places and in so many more forms now than you did even 10 years ago. And if you don't believe me, I might just point to um, some almond board statistics. I don't have them in front of me, but I can tell you in those last 10 years, we've seen almond production near double. I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that it's doubled. Don't quote me. It's pretty close if you want to look it up. And when you think about the scale of it, it's very, very impressive. And of course, it begs the question, well, where do all those almonds go? And that's really easy to answer if you walk into your local grocery store. You see almond milk, you see almond butter, you see almonds in um, nutrition bars, you see them as snacks, you see them in bakery items, almond flour, you see it everywhere. Why? Because almonds are such a key ingredient in so many different consumer food trends. And it really boils down to the fact that they're very nutrient dense, relatively low in fats, but high in your good fats. They're low in oils. There's virtually no carbs. I mean, there are, um, but those are offset um, in large part by dietary fiber. So when you talk about keto or low glycemic, all those trends are fit within the nutritional makeup of the almonds. And I think we're going to continue to see the almonds lead that way for those exact reasons. Another big takeaway from Expo West is usually a better read on how the retail landscape is changing for grocers in general. And contextualize around where we're at right now, um, there is another layer of short-term and long-term landscape changes for uh, retail grocers because of this pandemic that we're in. Uh, so I'd like to get y'all's thoughts on the more current reality of how retail grocers are evolving amid this pandemic. But then just in a broader sense, what are some of the long-term effects and changes uh, coming through the retail landscape for grocers and how is that materializing in different ways, both, you know, uh, logistics and more like outward facing issues, um, consumer led trends. What are you all seeing? Boy, this has been the biggest challenge for our business. I mean, you're you're touching on it perfectly in that 
we are in the unknown. We have never had a mass pandemic um, of this size and scale in any sort of recent times, and we are all trying to figure it out. So every bit of information that we had kind of went out the window. We typically get forecasts from our retail partners with the amount of almonds that they're going to order. And we base our production accordingly so that we are always able to fill their orders in a timely manner. And we just had to throw our papers up in the air. Nothing nothing is, is as it was before. We saw huge swings in grocery when the um, mandatory stay-at-home orders started rolling in for our different cities and then states and then countrywide. We had massive spikes. Uh, retailers were struggling to fill their shelves as people were panic buying and going to the grocery store anticipating that they were not going to leave their houses for an unspecified amount of time. So as a result, retailers were really bulk buying from us and increasing their orders without any notice. So we were doing everything we could to fill it. Then on the flip side of that, we had this dip that came as a result of everyone mass buying and then not going out and buying anymore. So retailers then start calling off on some of those purchase orders that they were backfilling with. So we had this huge spike up for logistics and orders. And then we had a bit of a downswing with these orders being canceled. So we're trying to manage both our production lines and our space in order to house this inventory that we've produced um, according to their purchase orders. So it's really just a balancing game. We're trying to, to really understand what these turns might look like for the future in terms of sales and try to wrap our brains around it. But we think we've got a better hold on it now. Things are leveling out a little bit more than they were a month ago, for instance. And our strategy is just to continue to be a partner for our retailers. And when they need us, we're going to produce. And if they need us to hold off, we're going to hold off for a little bit. But almond sales, just like many other shelf-stable products, have seen a real spike in this time. And uh, and we've been happy to be able to accommodate for our partners. You know, I want to touch on a couple things that Bryn kind of alluded to. The first and foremost, we're way too early in this to really understand broad trends. We don't know how long this is going to last. I think everyone is um, eager to get back to the old normal. Um, I think the phrase like I've kind of been thinking about is instead of new normal, an interim normal. I think that we we being everyone, I mean, consumers, retailers, supply chains, us as manufacturers, we're all in a little bit of a limbo. We did see panic buying, um, but we're starting to see um, some continued strength in certain areas. You know, one um, retail publication recently was reporting that, yes, we saw these major increases with the stay-at-home order in grocery sales. Pretty much across the board, you're talking at least 30%. Um, numbers up. But what's also interesting is grocery visits were way down. And that makes a lot of sense, right? People go less, they're panic buying, they're bulk buying. But if you look at the back end of that, yes, they're still down. But what's interesting is people are still buying more. We're not seeing panic buying anymore, but we're seeing people being a little bit more judicious about their time spent outside of the home. And you're seeing these 
larger kind of stock up and not panic buying hoard, but stock up type purchases. And I think that that's where everyone's trying to figure this out is as people stay home and they fall into new routines of consumption and eating, how long is that going to last and what are those trends that are going to emerge? The reality here is we probably don't know, but almonds are very well positioned as we've talked about as an ingredient, as a product that is shelf stable and that is key to a lot of trends of consumer buying. And the reality is, is those trends might shift and change um, because of the current environment, but they're still there. They're still founded in people's beliefs and understandings on health and desires. And those those don't go away just because we have to stay at home and we're in this crazy pandemic time where there's a lot of fear and uncertainty. We still need to eat and we're still, if not even more so, concerned about what we're putting into our body and how we're treating our body with the food that we're putting in. So I do think that you're going to see continued growth in almonds. Um, it may accelerate um, because of this. If we have this long protracted we're staying at home, social distancing, that is going to drive home consumption. And in past, where we've seen economic downturns and people aren't going out to do um, you know, their luxury purchasing, like uh, going to restaurants and things like that. I mean, obviously, this is different now. But in past, if you think of it being similar, where for different reasons, you're not as capable of doing the same things you were before, like going out to eat, almonds have continually been a ingredient in people's lives that has maintained its value in the consumer market and demand out there. So I think from a broad perspective, we're likely to see almonds continue, maybe even accelerate. But I think we're all hoping to get back to that old normal. And I would welcome that as soon as we can. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the shifting dynamics and how consumers are ordering their groceries. And even the fact that Many consumers are trying grocery orders for the first time. I know that's definitely me and the demographics that uh, are around me. You know, my little bubble of people is basically locking in grocery delivery or grocery curbside pickup for the first time ever. It was a convenience that never really felt necessary. And now it is absolutely necessary for avoiding going into retail grocery stores. You know, it, it kind of pulls toward the more established operations like Walmart that have been doing it for a while now. And so I wonder if in the long term, the effect of social distancing and uh, of finding new inventive ways to get your groceries home is going to really solidify the need for curbside pickup, grocery delivery, or just more generally the ability to order your groceries online before you ever go to the store. Do you all think that's going to be a long-term effect uh, based on conversations you've heard from some of your clients or some of the um, commercial grocery retailers that you interact with? And if so, what are some of the broader effects of that? How might that affect logistics, branding, you know, marketing challenges around that. What are your thoughts? Yes, I would definitely think that's going to be something coming out of this that stays um, for a normal for a lot of people. I I don't think 
there'll be quite as many. You'll have a little bit of, of down from down tech from people that do enjoy getting into the store and, and walking the aisles and seeing it. But I think for a lot of people, once they get used to that convenience, they will continue on with it. And as a result from that, we are going to have to adjust our marketing strategies. It's not something that we've readily been able to strategize for since we are just still in the beginning stages of, of this and adjusting to what we're going to do internally. But I would absolutely think that this is going to be a new challenge for suppliers everywhere in terms of where do we get customers' attention for our branding? How do we differentiate ourselves on a computer screen or on a phone screen versus in the aisle when you're looking at the shelves? It's, it's a very different shopping experience when you're specifically searching for an item with keywords or you're scrolling through a category rather than walking the aisles. Because let's face it, there are strategies involved in your buying purchase decision when you're in the store. There are strategic placements for items at eye level. If you'll notice when you're walking the store, the next time you, you do actually get yourself into the store, it's very strategic which brands and which items are in that eye level range and above. The things, the items that are placed on the bottom shelf are very strategically chosen there. So when you move that to an online platform, it really levels the field. There are no more eye level regulations in place. Now it becomes eye catching packaging or colors or words, or how do you become first in the search? So it's, it's going to be a real adjustment for brands to consider. And it's going to be a new strategy that we're going to have to explore. You see, I think this is this is maybe the interesting part of it. Um, I don't necessarily agree with everything that Bryn put forth, but like that just goes to we're in these uncertain times. If we agreed, then we wouldn't be having this conversation at all. You know, I do agree that, you know, these new ways if, to, to pick up your groceries, if you want to call them new, they've been around for a while. But, um, you know, Daniel, like yourself, uh, first time I used online grocery delivery uh, it was a few weeks ago found it to be uh, remarkably convenient and quite a great service particularly in these times where you know you really don't want to be going out as much i think there's some interesting dynamics that are very starkly different about grocery shopping than shopping for anything else you know online shopping these curbside pickups that's nothing new e-commerce has revolutionized so many industries and in how we shop and it's not that this hasn't occurred in the grocery space but i really feel like it's happened in a completely different way i do think there is some convenience to it that plays a, a major role but i think when you move grocery shopping online you really miss something more intrinsic something really important that I just don't think is going to go away just because we lose six, nine, 12 months, maybe more of our ability to routinely go to the grocery store. And I think what I'm getting at is the idea to be inspired about food, to find new things, to walk the aisles and say, 
yeah, you know what? I'm going to try to make that new dish or that's a really interesting product. Let me bring it into, into my house. And I feel that there's something that is much more tactile and, and needfully so when you're doing it at a grocery store versus on a screen. Screens are great when you know what you want and you can quickly and make those decisions. But if you're in an exploratory mode, you need to be there. And it's my hope. I, you know, I, I feel like I'm going to continue to be someone who goes and shops in, in person because I like that discovery. And I admit that that might not be the case for everyone. But I do think that there's something about food, about that experience. It's so sensory oriented that you lose when you bring that solely online. We might see a shift, but I really don't think that in-person grocery shopping is going away. But does that mean that we're going to have some changes on how we market and position ourselves as brands? Almost certainly so. And what those changes are and how they materialize is yet to be seen. We're on this journey together. You know, we'll see where it goes. And I, I do feel that as we as innovators are looking to bring new products and get in front of people and to say, hey, we have something that you haven't seen before, but you're really going to like. It's going to be an interesting dynamic when you're doing that, um, perhaps more so online than we are now, because uh, it is a different conversation. And Bryn, you are correct in that it's, it's going to be an interesting marketing dynamic. How do you do that online? How do you even just make sure that people know who you are and can find you in that space? Um, because there are strategic ways to do that in the grocery store. We know that. Um, how does that translate in an online world? We'll find out. We do a lot of internal bets as a company. So Alan, maybe and I will place a little bet on this one. <laughs> yes, I love it. All right. To wrap up the conversation, um, I want to lean a little bit into what the broader challenges are for retail grocers today outside of the pandemic. So things that they were uh, already dealing with that you think are going to sustain and still be challenges for the industry, regardless of if there was a pandemic or not. They might not even be challenges. They might just be changes uh, to the landscape in general. But one that stands out to me that I'd like to get some thoughts on is branding strategy and leaning into private label or exclusive branding uh, within their stores. Could you help define what private label really means in context for a uh, retail grocer and why you're seeing retail grocers lean into private labels as part of their, you know, their, their spread within the store? Absolutely. So um, this is something I really enjoy talking about. I, I spent many years working in private labels and building and developing private labels. So it's very near and dear to my heart. Private label as a segment has seen extreme growth over the last five years, just, just over five years. And it's continuing. It it's not slowing down. And what that really means is that consumers are getting a better understanding of, of what exactly it was. And in years past and previous generations, private label was referred to in, you know, what I would call more like dirty terms. It was off brands and it was generic. And those are those have negative connotations to them. People really 
viewed them as cheaper, um, not as good of quality products. The taste certainly they didn't believe was up to par with what the brands are. And throughout education and stores really roping in to private label and, and seeing how they could harness it and change it, they have really successfully changed a lot of the consumer perception. So it's been really nice to see that people as a whole are starting to understand that private label can actually mean better in a lot of instances. It can, it can mean more premium, um, but certainly it's not seen as, as the cheaper alternative anymore. Private label as a whole is an industry that is growing because we're using the same suppliers that we would that are creating these brands and they're creating the same products or very, very similar products with a few ingredient tweaks. And then they're putting a different label on it and put getting it to shelf. And so they still taste good. They still ta- have, have high quality, excellent ingredients and retailers are able to establish themselves in new ways because of this. So you've seen a lot of retailers over the past few years really dig into their own branding and they want consumers to have a point of difference in their shopping experience. What makes someone choose one grocery store or another? Some of it is convenience and location, but a lot of it is their selection. And when they start to see that their local grocery store or their favorite grocery store is developing these specialized brands with that store's name on it and these specialized items, they start to have a real connection with those items. And they start to have faith and trust in them that when they shop for that brand, they really like the taste of that item. And then they start to explore more and more. And you see the expansion of just a a single product purchase or a single category purchase being purchased across the store. So private brands is definitely helping stores, helping grocery retailers establish a connection between the consumer and their brand name and the loyalty in general. It's it's a really nice crescendo that we're seeing for retailers to be able to give back to their customers with the trust in their name and the consumers investing their dollars into the brand that they believe in. So it's it's a real win-win situation. I'm a big believer in private label and I don't think it's going anywhere. Brian, I think you nailed it on the head when you talk about consumer trust in, in the grocery store. The connection that a consumer gets with um, a grocery store and, and think about before pandemic times, you're potentially shopping multiple times a week at your local grocery store. Maybe you shop at multiple for different reasons, but you have a very frequent and direct relationship with the retail brand. And it's that connection that lends that confidence and trust in the private label products that that they bring forth. And it's not just that, it's also reflecting or a reflection, excuse me, on broader consumer trends, right? You know, we talked about this idea of consumers wanting natural products, um, products that they understand, you know, the ingredients of where the product comes from, that direct connection, right? And it's 
really in the, in the last couple decades, I would I would say potentially even that far back, there's been a real lack of connection with established brands. There's this sentiment and idea that you know the brands that either were present in our childhood or were the brands that our parents or our grandparents relied on for food are in some way inferior to this new notion of being natural and less processed. And to a lot of degree, I mean, that is true. I mean, if you think about post-war products um, that we were consuming, they're highly processed and they're preserved. And it's inclusive of a lot of things that we've come to realize are fine in a lot of cases. But if that becomes, you know, a large part of our diet, these preservatives and overly processed foods maybe have some some drawbacks that are beyond the benefits that they're supposed to be giving, particularly, again, when you're talking about quantity. And so there's been this backlash against those established brands, really just, I believe, from this notion that collectively they've got to be bad for you because we're healthy now. And there's been this shift to new products and new innovations. And, you know, the millennials that are now starting families, I mean, that's that's a, a key thing of that cohort is they are willing to try new things. And I think it is driven in large part because that they have this sense that anything old has to be bad. Not true. We know that. Um, but I think that that's something that you see reflective in the private label space where now you have brands that have a connection, right? The established brands have lost that connection, lost that ability to make it and to communicate that they aren't bad for you, that they are in fact good for you in many ways. And I think just in large part, you've seen that disconnect and the retailers have realized that, well, we have a connection with the consumer on a multiple a week basis sometimes. And we can leverage that to bring these products and extend our brand into the space and build that trust. And you know, if you're a discount brand, well, then you're going to bring value into the space. If you're a premium brand, uh, a premium grocery store, then you're going to look to bring products that are in some way premium, whether that's an ingredient base or flavor base, right? Retailers have understood that and they've been the ones to adjust. And that's why you're seeing that shift away from established traditional brands and you're seeing it back to the grocery store because they're the ones that interact with the customer and build that trust. And I think there's plenty of space and opportunity for brands to build that trust. And we're here to take on that endeavor and try to uh, build that relationship with our consumer um, and leverage that as well. But from a private label space, that's how I understand it. And then I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. All right. Alan Burwell, Bryn Garcia, thank you both so much for joining us on the podcast. Any final notes uh, before we sign off for the day? Anything that uh, is getting you excited or uh, potentially worried about the future of retail grocery stores and what folks should be keeping in mind during this unpredictable time? I'd just like to say that we we feel very thankful that we're able to stay open during this time. And we're really, I think, doing an excellent job of utilizing the time when everyone has sort of slowed down and getting back to the basics for us as a company to be able to 
dive in a little bit deeper into our innovation and developing of new products. We we feel very grateful that we're able to keep our doors open. And as a result, we want to be able to come out of, of this with large ammunition of, of new products and exciting segments and exciting flavors and, and new items for customers so that when all of this subsides, and we are getting back to normal or our new normal that we can give customers and give people something to look forward to. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And we're going to continue to do our part to make this challenging time something that we can all, you know, really feel good about getting back to normal and, and being able to, to buy what we like and have some joys in other ways. So I'm very proud of Select Harvest for taking on this initiative. I think in any situation, there's always something to be excited about. Uh, you know, that silver lining mentality. And I would just encourage everyone, regardless of what you're doing or where you're at, find that thing to be excited about. We've found it. We're excited. And let that be the light that guides you and keeps your fear at bay. Be safe, everyone. Uh, it is a it is a scary time. But if you can find that thing, find that thing, make it yours, and help power through. We'll all see you on the, uh, the other side of this, safe and together. Well said. Yeah, well said, Alan. All right, Alan Burwell, Vice President of Marketing and Innovation, and Bryn Garcia, Vice President of Retail Sales and Business Development for Select Harvest. Thanks, both of you, for joining us on this episode of Nut News. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Daniel, thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Nut News. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure you're also heading to our website for more information on Nut News, more information on Select Harvest, and a variety of other content, including articles and videos. And make sure you're leaving a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.